Lost and Sound is sponsored by Audio-Technica. This year is the company's 60th anniversary. Audio-Technica are a global but still family-run company that make affordable products. Headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones, stuff that I use, stuff that you most likely use because they believe that high-quality audio should be accessible to all. They made the first mic I ever owned. So head on over to audiotechnica.com and check out their range of stuff. All right, then, it is a grey Monday morning. I'm in Berlin. I hope wherever you are, you're having a fantastic one. And this is Lost and Sound. I'm a writer, an author, a presenter, and very possibly the only person ever to move to Berlin to stop being a DJ. And welcome to Lost and Sound, the podcast where we meet the innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their thing, and they do it in their own way. And we talk about life and the things that inspire us to make the things that we make, because beautiful things don't come from a hierarchy of knowledge. They come out of sharing. Past guests have included Peaches, Jim O'Rourke, Chili Gonzalez, Letitia Sadier, Ghost Poet, Roman Flugel, Ellen Alien, Jan Tiersen, and so, so, so many more. And today you're going to hear a really lovely chat I had a couple of weeks back with Louisa. Head on over to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Paul Hanford, where you can get extra regular mini episodes, access to field diaries, occasional video episodes, and so, so, so much more. There's a Discord channel. There's lots of stuff. And my book, Coming to Berlin, is out now on Velocity Press. Okay, then. Um, so it's uh, Monday morning. As I'm speaking to you, the weather has lost its... It's lost its, its sticky, sweaty, lovely, lovely, lovely summer vibe. And I'm feeling fresh. And today on the show, you're going to hear an interview that a couple of weeks back with Louisa. That is Louisa with three H's. DJ, performer, artist, label owner. Louisa's vibe is summed up by the Insta handle for her label, the label that she co-founded with Maelstrom. It says, a techno label for punks, a punk label for techno heads. And that is her, or at least that is the impression of her I, I, I dive into with her sound. Part Boiler Room, part CBGBs. I first discovered her music through a track she put out a few years back called Once. Nine minutes of dark, pulsating techno with kind of a sort of 
an industrial body music sort of pump to it and a, and, and, and a kind of punk rock swagger as well. And, and I was DJing at the time in Topshop, the big Topshop, if you know it, it, that used to be in Oxford Circus in the middle of London. And, and it was one of those for the money kind of DJ gigs that I was very grateful to have, but you're just playing random stuff to shoppers. Um, as Louisa brilliantly put it, because we talk about this a little bit in, in, in the interview, the liminal space, that's, that's a word that I hadn't really thought of using before, but I love it. And um, I play this really, really intense piece of music and uh, it got a really, really divisive reaction from shoppers. You know, some people just want to buy a hat and they're, they're, they're getting like, distracted by this really trancey deep music and other people it kind of remind really connected and it reminded me of 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 seeing patty smith at a festival a few years ago just like the way she could kind of hypnotize people with with her voice and the sort of intensity of the sound and this is something that i picked up again when i listened to her debut album the practice of freedom which came out last year which hits this sweet spot between techno and a kind of like transgressive punk rock attitude and like me i think she lives in a place where techno and and rock kind of do or kind of rather a kind of a punk rock do kind of coexist together and are kind of like part of the same sort of lineage i, I kind of feel or set that you know that there's a sort of space where they both they both are cohabiting or, or you know whatever um we had a really and her journey has been so sort of long and 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 deep and fascinating and so I didn't know what to expect when we were going to have this chat uh, and what we did have uh, we're about to hear it in a second um, was just really lovely. She was speaking to me from France. I was speaking to her from Berlin, and this is what happened when I had a chat with Louisa. Uh, so uh, where where are you right now? You you in uh. Paris? No, actually, recently. So in, in the beginning of May, uh, my partner and I moved to the middle of nowhere, <laughs> mm. which is actually only about 80 minutes outside of Paris, but it's in a region of France called La Perche. Mm. And uh, so this is kind of where we're where we are planting <laughs> a life. And uh, yeah, it's so it's so recording live and direct from La Perche. And it's a uh, it's wonderful amazing amazing so i mean i imagine like is it quite rural france where you are or? it's quite rural there's a town it's yeah. like a town of like 500 <laughs> right so that must be quite different from the kind of hustle and bustle of paris and then before that new york yeah i mean i was actually in los angeles between paris and new york mm. so it's like it's been a lot of big cities and it's really nice to um to especially kind of as we were we were talking before this idea of a pandemic giving an opportunity to kind of assess mm. needs and desires. And, you know, it felt like uh, we discovered over the course of two years that we didn't actually like use Paris. And so we were paying an incredible amount of money for a city that we weren't really utilizing. And, uh, and it's definitely been a lifestyle change, but it's been really good. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a thing that you've uh, started noticing that you're maybe not necessarily missing, but that you've had to kind of go, oh my God, I can't just go and get like a, a, a flat white with oat milk, like 
10 meters, <laughs> 10 meters away, you know, in the morning. Today, speaking of like non-dairy milk products, today I ordered <laughs> 30 liters of millet milk because mm. we used to live directly next door to a like an organic food store. And now it's like a half an hour drive one direction. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> this is untenable. So, <laughs> so there's a new lifestyle of like I or, bulk ordering bizarro organic food products, but like I mean, it's, you know, I do, do definitely miss being able to, uh, I'm in a recovery fellowship for, mm. for alcoholism and addiction. And so I mm. miss in-person meetings. I really miss like my feeling like integrated, especially post COVID into mm. like the, the fellowship, um, in person. Um, but you know, it's, it's the, another beautiful thing that kind of came out of, uh, two years remote was that there's a lot of online recovery now. So that's cool. That's good. That's good. It's, it's, it's such like, I mean, um, it's so interesting, the timing of the pandemic as well, because like, just imagine if it had happened 10 or 15 years earlier. And when, you know, we were still sort of on like modems and, and, and stuff, it would just things like that just wouldn't have an opportunity whatsoever. Oh, my God, it would have been I don't know if we could have done it because I feel no. like so much of the ability of the world to kind of keep on turning as it did, like, even though it mm. feels like late capitalism is really upon us, <laughs> is, is this kind of like the pressure to continue working even in, in any way possible mm. um, was somehow allowed by, by, you know, the technology available and, you know, for, for better or for worse. Um, <laughs> that's actually a really interesting, interesting uh, point. I've been, th- I've been thinking a lot about like caffeine being responsible for the industrial revolution <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i guess it's it's like a sort of it's like a legal speed i guess in a way isn't it yeah yeah for sure but this idea that like prior that everyone was like too drunk to operate machinery because like uh-huh. drinking alcohol was safer than drinking water <laughs> and so when you started to boil water to make coffee or tea it became like not only are you like kind of agitated at all times and like able to be productive and like here's like yeah like as you say like legal speed brought to you by your company to operate operate machinery totally yeah i wonder what the like the modern equivalent is kind of uh in in this new world order that we're kind of enjoying uh post-COVID. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really interesting thought. I mean, I don't have an immediate answer for that or an idea, but it, what you're saying about the kind of drinking alcohol because the water was too dirty. I mean, I even even if I look at my parents' generation, my parents are boomers, like they, the, 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 in the sort of late 80s, the idea of drinking like bottled water was this massive novelty. And I was like, they never drunk tap water. And it was like, what did you, how did you look after your skin? I, how did you... <laughs> <laughs> How did, you know, was water just for showering? I don't know. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's a really interesting. I mean, and so you wonder kind of like looking back what it will be, because that's I didn't really think about like how incredibly screwed we would have been had this Mm. happened in like the MySpace era. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. You know, how many I had to do like a bad on like live stream DJ sets from my home because they were too depressing. But like, Mm. imagine not being able to kind of have any space to to do that outside of like meditative <laughs> vinyl sets <laughs> yeah gosh yeah and I bet also I even think like how I it, it boggles my mind how festivals were run before the internet even as well like was it just like lots lots of phone calls but they'd have to have landlines as well and and faxes I, I have no idea how that kind of level of coordination could have happened sort of 
pre mid mid late nine late nineties or something. Oh my god! Oh yeah, and just like the nightmare. I mean, the, my first European tour was in like twenty twenty ten, and I was I was my own agent. Mm. <laughs> my phone didn't work <laughs> on this <laughs> continent, and it was just like sheer luck <laughs> that I met I was up with anybody. <laughs> Like, mm. I have no idea how like I felt like I was so anxious all the time that I felt like my skin was on fire because I had no idea how to actually contact the people who are going to be mm. meeting me any place. <laughs> 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 this was not that long ago. This is like 12 years ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting that because of um uh like if you're you're going out on tour and you've you've got to look after your artistic side, but then you've also got to kind of like do all of the admin yourself as well. But I mean, how, do you, I mean, the, I think with any kind of artist now, unless you're like sort of, you know, the biggest, biggest person in the world, like, you know, like you're Bono or something. I don't know why I thought of Bono, but like. Um, <laughs> you know, the world's number one artist, the Bono. Number one, still, <laughs> every day. Name. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Mr. Bono. And <laughs> um, like, the, the, we're so used to this kind of level of multitasking anyway. Do you, do you, do you feel like you're, that's something that you're good at, being able to switch between what you need, the, the zones that allow you to create and the kind of admin that kind of you, you have to just do? Oh, that's an interesting question. I know some people are really good at like making stuff while on the road mm. and I'm very slow, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, it's interesting. Like it's been a challenge finding a North American agent. So like this last um, this last U.S. tour that we just got back from, I was I was the band agent, which was a fun adventure because it hadn't been that way for a while. But it made me think about like the how useful it was to be able to self advocate mm. because it's very easy, I think, to kind of rest on your laurels and expect somebody else to kind of evaluate your project. And so to be able to kind of negotiate and also like create a person to person community, like that was actually quite. Like um, enlightening. I mean, it's not something that I feel particularly confident at because our routing was insane. <laughs> we crossed the U.S. like three times, but like with no stops in between. It was horrible. Anyway, we're so sorry for our carbon footprint. <laughs> but um, but this idea of kind of like necessitating a, a, a reevaluation of why we are doing this and what the what the community that we're cultivating feels like. I think was actually really healthy because it can be very easy to be like, that's not enough money. I don't want to go, <laughs> yeah. you know, if somebody else is doing the argument for you, you know, where you're doing the numbers and you're like, well, it's not exactly possible, especially with a live project, which is like, it's <laughs> bringing another, you know, three people. Mm. Um, so it was very healthy to kind of actually put on the administrative hat because it gave a lot of insight to what, like, it necessitated looking at like, why are we, why are we creating and who are we creating for and what's the connections that we want to build look like. And yeah, I mean, I, I would highly recommend it, even though it's mm. deeply uncomfortable, <laughs> kind of a bummer. <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I guess if you kind of go back to the sort of the pre-internet days and the sort of the, uh, the, the, uh, the kind of rock stars, for lack of a better word, that kind of like sort of, you know, we modern music kind of took its cues from who didn't really, were kind of very isolated from that, you know, and perhaps kind of sort of had all of the people doing that for them. But now, now you have got this sort of feedback loop where you kind of, uh, the ego is is kind of in check a lot more, do you think? Uh, yes and no, because I think that there is so much, kind of, like it, I was, I've been thinking about this and kind of how to write about it, if that's like a relevant kind of song subject. Um, <laughs> this idea of like kind of performative 
success mm. um, being something, is it like, is that necessary or is that me kind of like buying into a system that does not actually a serve me or my creative integrity? You know, this idea that like all these, this, like, you know, I see, I, I see a, a peer post, like <laughs> it's classic. It's like the back of the DJ's head, massive crowd. Mm. <laughs> and Like <laughs> here are my dates for August. And it's like 19 days. And I'm like, Oh no, am I not doing enough? Like, you know, this, but then I'm like, wait, <laughs> I don't like touring that much. Like I, I love the opportunity too, but is that actually, is, is that feel like success for me? Or does that make me feel kind of anxious and tired, you know? Mm. So this idea of like, you know, the, the original question of being like the, the rock stars that were kind of isolated from the kind of person to person experience mm. versus like, I think in dance music, it's because of its origins, it has often been a very human to human endeavor mm. and, and only recently has become kind of come more rock star and commercial mm. in a traditional sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and so to kind of, again, like I think post COVID after having two years off kind of industry wide, there's a lot of pressure to have like more commercial lineups than ever, because, you know, mm. promoters and venues need to make up the last two years. And similarly, like, on one hand, we have a lot of artists that have a lot more diverse uh, backgrounds, both musically, racially, gender-wise, kind of coming out because it seems like in in COVID, the spaces that might not have been safe previously, mm. like we're able to be like bedroom DJ sets were just as valid as club DJ sets. You know, such so, an interesting perspective that yeah, definitely that it did allow. Uh, a cleansing in a way, you know, it gave an opportunity for everyone to, that's got a camera on their, you know, the bit of software on their laptop to, to, you know, and I, I definitely, you know, do you feel that there is a sort of more of a, a readdressing of the balance in the lineups that you're, you're seeing or? <laughs> I mean, well, cause it's interesting, like, right. That, that we had this opportunity to kind of, as you say, like cleanse the timeline <laughs> mm-hmm. um or or just go back to a space in which like we can we we had a a moment where there was a mandatory pause to perhaps like look at at what where we wanted our industry to go and what what mm-hmm. that could look like in terms of like yeah as you said like balance in terms of who's playing and who's booking who's playing and then also like sustainability like i'm a member of um this collective called djs for climate action and they did a big workshop on kind of like a five-year plan of what the how we could be industry leaders um as as a dance music community in terms of like Mm. sustainability efforts because like right now we can move forward more wisely you know Mm. um and (laughs) like uh, and it's been disappointing. Oh <laughs> no! The actual execution. I mean, not really. I think there have been a lot more interesting and diverse like movements ahead in terms of lineup uh, balance. And I think also within the kind of like crypto or NFT space, that's been really cool to watch. Is kind of like a new idea where there could be potentially room for more diversity, maybe. Mm. But then it's also like <laughs> looked at the Tomorrowland lineup whenever that was published like six months ago. It was like two women. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. embarrassing. <laughs> but I mean, I guess that's not really my audience. Oh, so. <laughs> uh, but it's I know you. I mean, it, it's not mine. I mean, like I, I actually, you know, I, I. How do I phrase this? I find it harder to find 
interesting male DJs and producers and artists to talk about than I do female um, or um, or non-binary artists these days because I don't know. I just feel like, you know, I, I've got a list of people I'd love to speak to and I've got a list of people in the progress of speaking to and I'd say about 85% uh, aren't cis identifying men really you know and uh, I you know that's not me trying to be sort of like super woke that's just like based on like oh I've just noticed that's that's who's making interesting music so so I line up like I know again like Tomorrowland isn't like exactly my thing either but they must be <laughs> actually trying really hard now to not you know diversify <laughs> well I mean again I think that there is such a thing as kind of like performative wokeness where people yeah. book like the same six women and are like look we're doing it yeah <laughs> like, and, the, and these women become you know like people spokespeople without without necessarily deciding to be they just become like tokenistic yeah and I mean I think like on one hand that to have like women in positions of power within dance music is progress but then like that's definitely a ceiling of like okay <laughs> Same six people, you guys. <laughs> um, so it's cool and, and exciting to hear that you're kind of, uh, without effort, being able to kind of diversify the narratives that we're we're hearing, you know, from music makers. And I mean, also, I don't, I don't know, like we've tried. I, I run a label called RAR, and we've tried yeah. times to sign, like, like it, at least half of our A and R is uh, non cis male. And like everybody we reach out to was like, oh my God, I'd love to, but we're so busy. <laughs> so it's cool to be like, oh fuck, like, well, that's fortunate. Like, we're so excited to hear that, but also <laughs> it unfortunately means that it's we still have a, a kind of a heavy sway to uh, cis male <laughs> made music. <laughs> yeah, but then again, I guess at the same time, if people are making good music, you know, they're making good music, aren't they? And, and, um, totally. and um, yeah, so <laughs> talking about your music. And um, yeah, so like I first heard of you with the track once and there was a little bit of a story to how I heard of this because I used to sort of be like a bit of a rent-to-hire DJ when I was living in London. And one of my gigs was that I was play I'd play in the big... Oxford, uh, Oxford Circus Topshop. And, oh, wow. And I loved playing it in, in once in Topshop because I was just getting into the, the, the Berlin vibe at the time and there's something about the rhythm really reminded me of some nights I had. And I, I loved playing it. It took me into such a zone, but it was really divisive amongst the customers because really? it was, in, it was <laughs> in the most mainstream part of London you could imagine, you know. And so you would have like just people that just wanted to buy some socks for their daughter coming in. And then you'd have people that would just like sort of just get really tranced into it. And I did notice that like sort of, that I'd share these moments with people when I played the tune that did feel very kind of like we're under some kind of spell. And one of the things I love about your music and the sort of maybe the kind of one chord nature where it's kind of techno and punk at the same time is that there is a sort of like a sort of like a trance-like quality to what you do um and this is a very 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 long-winded question I'm really sorry about no that, I, but, I also but, I I have so many points that I want to hit on what you're talking about okay brilliant well I guess I guess I'd start it off and do feel free to just answer however you want and whatever point you want to take on but like is there a sort of trance-like spell-like thing that you you get into when you're making making a tune first of all i really like as as somebody who i played like a lot of hotel lobbies for a very long time and like a lot <laughs> yeah. of kind of like 
uh, almost um, kind of like uh, liminal spaces, like spaces Mm. that people were just kind of passing through. So I very much respect the art of cultivating a feeling in a space that is not, people are not there to hear you. (laughs) It's it's very difficult. It's a very subtle touch. <laughs> and, and to be able to do that with what, what feels like integrity and not just be like, I hate myself. Here's another terrible song mm. that I hate. <laughs> it's, it's all this, all they'll love this. Then it's only 15 minutes till I finish kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why want is seven minutes long. So you can go and have a bathroom break. <laughs> I hear you. you. I know the struggle. The struggle is real. Um, so, you know, and, and I... I guess like it's interesting and I really actually like hearing that it was played in a retail space because I think that I really like if I'm not a big shopper, but mm-hmm. when I am shopping or even when I'm like kind of interacting in public spaces, even if it's just walking down the street, I think it's important to have a kind of sense of how the music feels in the body and like I want it I want what I make and I want what I'm whatever I'm listening to to change the way I feel in the space I'm in so like Mm. if it's a shopping if if one is trying to make people purchase things like you want to make them feel sexy and powerful you know Mm. and so I hope that one made some people feel sexy and powerful as they bought their socks (laughs) um and um I guess the the kind of the question about like a translator transcendent space um yeah, like for me, I think the the thing that I go to is like I really love watching documentaries on like ba- on dance, but mm. on like ballerinas specifically. Ooh. And I love how like when people go to the ballet, they leave and they're like they have an entirely different way of um, uh, being in their bodies, and they're like everybody's like carries themselves like a ballerina and kind of feel mm. like it's beautiful, you know, to have this like kind of subliminal shift, especially as we kind of, you know, not unlike the the conversation that we were having earlier about a, a society that's kind of like giving us what we want all the time, this kind mm-hmm. of algorithmic based, uh, like my, my brain feels slick because I have no friction, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, this idea of like, I'm just mm-hmm. constantly ingesting things that don't like rub me the wrong way, you know, or they're mm. designed specifically to rub me the wrong way and that I get mad and have to click the bait, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> but this idea of like, I want when people interact with my music and when I, when I kind of am a consumer to others music to feel something that mm. change, like that I feel changed by, you know? And so I, I want people to like have the universe that I'm creating, like that to, to feel it in their bones, even if they might not be aware of it. So like I, if something doesn't make me want to like run my face through a wall, I'm not really that interested. <laughs> you know, like I want the friction. I want I want it to be like a and I want to I want to be able to feel the impact of what I'm consuming. You know, and so when I create something, I want it to have that level of of uh, of intensity. Otherwise, like it's very addictive. I'm like, if it's not intense, I don't want it. Like, yeah. <laughs> now that makes total sense to me, and I can I can hear it in the music and 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 what it reminds me of a little bit as well. And is I know that you've got on record before saying like Patti Smith inspired you to become a lyricist, and I, I felt that she's someone that when I've seen her live has the same sort of way of of kind of just. With a with a very honest way, very sort of trancing people into um, her sentiment uh, and and kind of being very confrontational, but 
very inviting inwards as well. It's not, she's not telling you to fuck off. She's telling you to cut, she's sort of like she's inviting you to come in. Yeah, for sure. And she's such a hero, but I mean, this, I mean, this energy of like, kind of both sides of what you're talking about, right? That if you're not going to come in, then you can fuck off. Like, mm. I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to make it more palatable. So you feel more comfortable about it. Like mm. get in or get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I think it should be the same in restaurants. It's like the same in restaurants as well as I think, like, you know, when um, the idea of like sort of changing, going in as a customer and changing the ingredients of what you've asked for to kind of please your palate. And it's like, no, that's actually just a meal the way it is. Just, uh, it, it, you know, enjoy the experience. Yes. And I mean, as the, like the world's most annoying eater in the face of the earth, <laughs> I say yes. Like in theory, of course. Mm. <laughs> in practice, I'm like, can you do that without that and that and that and that? And that? Actually, just can I have like a plate of vegetables, please? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe I'll use a different example, but I, yeah. <laughs> but yes, I understand the sentiment and, and, and approve. <laughs> and, and so with, with someone like Patty Smith, like how did music first come into your life? Um, my, it's, uh, it's so interesting. I have a podcast called Sober Sex and the first question is, mm. or like the anchor question is, um, uh, what was your what were the first messages you received around sex or sexuality ah. <laughs> and this is this this is like that question for music so I like <laughs> yeah. well um, it's the beginning steps isn't it of our journey I guess that's yeah very universal and, yeah where's home you know um mm. my so my dad has always been he's like he did A&R for Sony in Columbia in like the 70s and 80s <laughs> So he had, you know, he worked with everybody from Bruce Springsteen and Pink Floyd to Miles Davis and Elvis Costello. Mm. He like directed videos and he uh, did, had a lot of relationships where he was really building artists. Careers. <laughs> and so like in, you know, this kind of classic, almost Freudian um relationship with my father <laughs> like it, in in that he's you know not necessarily incredibly emotionally communicative like mm. music was always a place that we had a real relationship and that you know he took me to see you know nine inch nails when i was like 11 which was probably wow. a mistake but like thank you dad <laughs> and um and yeah i mean i think for my my own interest in in making music and also like consuming music and and bonding over you know <laughs> He had like the instrumentals of um, Dr. Dre albums in the car because he was afraid that the swearing would upset my mother. <laughs> but he was like, Louise, the production is so good. <laughs> <laughs> you got to listen to this. So, um, you know, I just like to that. He used the the why for a lot of my uh, my career and a lot of my like, I think why music is such an important and, and valuable part of my life. That must have been such an in, incredible experience. Um, Cause like, I guess like you're talking about eras when you're, when your dad was working in the industry where this is like the sort of classic kind of record company era, isn't it really? The, the sort of, this is what, you know, people kind of mythologize about the kind of the role of A&R people during that time and being involved in those artists and they end up making like Netflix documentaries about them as well. Yeah, it's funny. We had been trying to speaking of podcasts, I've been trying to make a, po a podcast while, with him called Pop Hits, <laughs> which is where he just like talks to me basically and tells me stories. And unfortunately, he can't figure out his email attachment downloads. 
so he oh. won't he can't approve the episode oh no so you've <laughs> already dad, recorded it we've recorded one and then mm. he, I, we can't record anymore because without the his feedback which he won't get <laughs> it's been months <laughs> it's like the most dad issue of all the issues but um uh so yeah i mean it's just he just talk like listening to how they were able to really target markets and have mm. relationships with record stores and buyers and like learn about who their mm. consumers were and really like shape careers around uh, local communities and what they like, what was working in specific communities. It was super, super interesting. Cause I feel like we've totally like it now because of, you know, we have the metrics, we have the data, obviously, mm. with Spotify and all the DSPs, but we don't have the relationships, mm. um, which is, feels like such a, a loss, you know, because like you, based on like knowing the buyer, knowing who is buying what in what record store in what town, you could create full tours around like mm. building lineups. And it was just, it was really interesting to actually kind of see the the poetry of how people were able to find success in in almost niche markets that grew into like global success. And do you think that kind of feeds back into what you were saying earlier on about the kind of, uh, uh, the sort of homogenization of, of like kind of late capitalist algorithmic culture that we, we kind of end with up with this, um, you know, sort of, you know, and also like the kind of reaction in your music to sort of not do something mild, you know, um, I'm sorry, that wasn't the word you used. Uh, um, to, the, but it's you know, what I meant. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. That, that you know, that, that in those times that there was that sort of way of cultivating quite sort of authentic connections that allowed artists and people that are into the music to kind of go on a journey together in, in a, in a totally different way. I mean, I think it's, yeah, like in a lot of ways, I think that the the magic of discovery has been very much kind of like delivered to us, you know, uh, in our New Music Friday every day or every mm. week. And and for me, that idea of having like having worked at record stores and also kind of hearing about like the storied rise of artists like, for instance, Bruce Springsteen and how how in ha- having relationships with your listeners via um like their own community with or surrounding a record store you know or you know an environment of of, of listeners and I grant yeah like maybe this is different because I also kind of having pivoted into electronic music and like back more into now mm. more of a hard ticket rock show um mm. this is this these are two different tracks right especially in kind of modern day but this idea of um yeah like being able to trust your fans enough i guess that they're gonna like stick with you when you do your weird shit (laughs) Mm. um and i feel like now like unless you have the kind of hit it's it's hard to it's hard to kind of break through but maybe that's not true you know i don't know it's it's really hard to say because like (laughs) we i think it's it's easy to kind of think that as because of the the algorithm capital a like Mm that it's possible to kind of design the the perfect thing that will please everybody and like that's a not really what i'm interested in even though it's Mm. easy to get fomo about like what it doesn't have a million plays you know like (laughs) um where in reality it's like the music that is like it's always been more interesting and perhaps for you too you know having Mm. kind of like a crate digging like fewer plays on youtube are more interesting like the Mm -hmm. discovery elements is is uh is and, and finding like your your 
peers in some weird online forum in 2004, <laughs> you mm. know, like that there's this, there, the, the stranger it is, the better it is, you know? Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, uh, um, and I think it's sort of like kind of echoes into uh, about like sort of stuff that maybe I've read about when you, when, you know, when you became like an active sort of player in, in the music culture around you and, and, and talking about like the misshaped parties um, in, in New York and um, were they, were they quite, was, you know, I don't, I don't know because I'm never really sure with other interviews and stuff how accurate they were, but were, were, were like the misshaped parties and the attitude of that quite important for your sort of musical kind of foundation, would you say? Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, like, between there was at that moment in New York, it was really exciting because there was like it was kind of like the, I didn't even know the term open format, but like that's mm. kind of what it seems to have been like, and it's probably been to a lot of levels that like no one knew how to mix. Mm. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it was like there were so many cool bands happening at that moment with the Strokes and Interpol and Yeah Yeah Yeahs all coming from New York and. And in addition to kind of on the dance music side, all the DFA stuff happening. And Mm. it was just like, for me at that moment, like I was still underage. So I was like 17, 18 going to clubs and, and just starting to learn how to DJ and just to finally feel like I had like found my tribe was because like, you know, it, if you're interested in that stuff in high school, when everybody was like listening to Z100, which was like the top 40 radio in New York at the time, (laughs) probably still like, I didn't really relate. And that's, and then suddenly I found this group of people that got the references and, and were just running around to like clubs every night of the week. It was so like magical, you know, Mm. like it was, uh, I think also I talk about this a lot with Maelstrom, like the thing that you are into when you're 18 is like the thing that kind of like changes your brain, you know, that like kind of creates destiny almost. (laughs) Oh, completely. Definitely. That there were like, there's probably, I was thinking, I think I come back to thinking about this from time to time. Like for me and when I've spoken with other people out there, it probably crystallizes down to maybe two or three, even two or three just very particular moments that sort of might not have been the most dramatic things in the right, but like where you get turned on to a certain band on but a for certain you day. Everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then it's always that, that kind of foundation that, you know, maybe it's something about the tech of it or the memory of it or the nostalgia or or the or the way it kind of like liberated just your social life you know or or like how you you kind of found a way that you could dress more like you than you ever imagined you could dress before you know yeah suddenly Um, there's permission because you have a community yeah Yeah, totally and it's been there all the time you know but it's just like like, this has been going on and it's only half a mile away from my house (laughs) this is insane totally what was that for you oh my god for me it was the pixies and um it wasn't like a a, you know I kind of got into clubbing a couple of years later like indie clubs I'd, I'd say but I was 16 at the time and and it was just starting sixth form college and going walking up on a hill with some people that I'd I'd known years before when we were like sort of just not really into music or anything particularly apart from I don't know Arnold Schwarzenegger films or something as teenage boys you know and then um and then uh, and then sort of being given a joint and and then someone giving me like Walkman headphones and, and it was Debaser by the Pixies and just uh, being wow 
you know, and then I think within a week I'd kissed a girl for the first time and, you know, I'd, you know, sort of bought one of those sort of old kind of army jackets and started, you know, I started experimenting <laughs> with cider and, you know, oh, all of the, all of the kind of touch, But the, that moment those. of like, this is it. Yes, yes, totally. <laughs> it's like, must have been a nightmare for my parents, but it was, it was a fantastic. <laughs> what <time>. happened? I was <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, you know, the inevitable. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Was the, what was the thing that sort of first sort of pulled you to, to make the move to Paris? Um, I was, so I was working with a label called Bromance and mm. I, when I was based in Los Angeles and it was very in its in, in infancy and it was uh, Bradinsky and Gesefelstein and it was a very exciting moment for a, for kind of post blog house, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, early 2010s dance music and, um, their management who was, had a, had a big stake in the label, which was, um, it was like management booking agent. They owned a bunch of clubs. <laughs> they did publishing mm. record label. It was crazy. They were like, move to France and we can help you. And if you don't move to France, we can't do anything <laughs> mm. <laughs> because you're not, you, there's a nine hour time difference and we don't really know the American market. So, and yeah, that, and it's funny, like that offer came on, I think January 17th of 2013 and that new year's eve like two weeks prior i had gotten kicked off of a dj set where i was playing in south beach miami for not playing commercially enough and there was like mm. screaming and crying involved it was hard it was so horrible <laughs> i was just like i'm playing vinyl like i can't play more commercially like this is what i have and they were like let the professional take over and so it was very it was very helpful to have that like level of clarity to be like, look, what you do is not really going to be valued in the country that you're from. So maybe, maybe say yes. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, I moved to France, like, <laughs> like jumping out of an airplane, like had it spoke no French, <laughs> like didn't know what I was doing. And it was one of the, the most wonderful decisions that was ever made for me, you know, by kind of fate. So, that, that, so do, do you take that Miami experience as being a bit of a sign um, like a sort of I mean, I feel like, yeah, with, I mean, I don't think without that, I, cause you know, the nice thing about, especially Los Angeles and like the, you know, it's where I got sober and it's where mm. I had a lot of, a, a lot of friends and a very good quality of life and didn't really mm. have to feel like my depression, which is very seasonal. Mm. <laughs> Turns out I found out after moving to France. <laughs> <laughs> where it's cold um, and, and rainy. Where it's cold and dark and moving yeah. to France in February. Mm. <laughs> um, that, like I thought that life was just going to be kind of like chill, cool, Los Angeles forever. And so it was very helpful actually to be given a way into something that was different than the level of comfort I was experiencing. Cause in a lot of ways it was like, it kind of exploded my career, but it also put a lot of kind of friction in that experience just in terms of mental health and trying to find a new friend group and not, not speaking the language of a country that while appearing very similar, um, like America, I think really is infatuated. Much of the world is in fact infatuated with this idea of like a Parisian romance dream life. And like, I arrive and like, everybody's mean. (laughs) (laughs) I can actually, when you said the uh, Parisian romance, I actually heard the accordion in my mind just as. as, There she is. Yes. (laughs) Totally. So it was, but honestly, like um, it's, it's, I'm like, should I plug it? Yeah, we'll plug it. So that that it'll be a decade here in um in February. And uh I essentially arrived in France, dropped my stuff, and then the next day went to Nantes, um, 
which is a city about two hours away from Paris, to work with Maelstrom on the first EP that would be released with Bromance. And uh, and so it's our decade of working together. And, you know, we've henceforth started a label and he's part of the band. And so we have our first uh, we have our first album together coming out in February, which is very exciting and a nice oh. kind of bow on the, the decade mark. Bon anniversaire. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fantastic. I love it when things have that sort of like cyclical kind of, you know, coming back uh, uh, and, and and stuff like that. Do you feel, do you feel like, you know, also, because um, I feel, because I've been living in Berlin for four years now. And yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah, I definitely have learned a lot about my Englishness that I wouldn't know otherwise. Has it been similar for you? Have you picked up on things about, being American, you know, oh not my God. living yeah. in America. No, I think that you that you really nailed it. Like this idea of it's very difficult to know about where you're from until you're not mm-hmm. there. Um, and there are a lot of assumptions, especially I think about like kind of culturally what's in the thinking patterns that are embedded around everything from finance, which is like and I remember like dating and romance was incredibly confusing <laughs> because uh, the the cultures surrounding those things were very like distant, and, but they were all called, it was called the same thing, you know, mm. but the ways of going about it were just baffling. Like, <laughs> so, so like just it, it'd be like orange, you know, that person would be like orange and then they'd be pointing at like a pineapple and you'd be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So that was, I mean, I'm curious as to how, what you've discovered about your English as living in Berlin. Well, it's, it's actually funny you say about the dating thing, because one thing that is really like an orange to pineapple thing is that I found out that people use the word, when they say they're inviting you, it means that they're going to pay for you, which was a very nice surprise. That's definitely one of the nicest surprises I had. Like I had a date a couple of years ago and the first time I'd encountered it and uh, and this person um, said, I'm inviting you. And we got to the cinema and she paid for everything. She bought, you know, she bought the kind of, it wasn't popcorn, but whatever the equivalent it was and some beers afterwards. And then I was like, you're being really generous. And she said like, she's just matter of fact German when like, no, I, I said- you. I said, I invited you. Yeah, and I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is brilliant. You know, but I also better watch out when I say I'm inviting someone that I am, you know, that you know, you're basically offering to pay for, for for someone for the night, which is, you know, I thought that was a lovely thing. Um, but I also discovered like a lot about my Englishness in terms of um, I mean, I mean I'm sure this is the same for being English anywhere on the planet. Like our kind of bum- <laughs> bumbly, not really answering anything particularly straightforwardly kind of nature, you know, like sort of differing with our answers um, and being in a country where, you know, I know it's a little bit of a stereotype, but I do think people are a lot more direct. But for a reason. <laughs> yes, definitely. Very direct. I think the directness, but I've actually really loved the directness. Even it can sometimes be very cutting. Like there's the German, Schna- the Berlin Schnauzer, they call it, where, you know, which is the sort of the, the particular kind of Berlin gruffness where people will just be very direct and, you know, how are you doing today? Oh, not good, very bad, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but actually, you know, it, it's, it's just really honest, you know, and you know where you are, really. For sure. I mean, there's a book called The Culture Map, which I've only heard podcast interviews about. I have not actually read. <laughs> but this idea is presented where it's like, is it a coconut culture or a peach culture? Right. Oh, and this, so the that? coconut culture is like, it's hard on the outside and soft on the inside. Mm. So 
Um, for instance, like the American South, very soft on the outside, like a peach, hard on the inside, difficult to penetrate intimate friendships and relationships, mm. right? Whereas France and sounds like, uh, I don't know, actually, because I feel like, especially in Berlin, there's like a conviviality, so especially around mm. like nightlife, but coconut culture is very hard on the outside, but then it's kind of soft and creamy on the inside, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And for instance, like America, like no, is kind of a dirty word, like we don't, we're like, that's not for us. Or like, maybe try again with something different or, you know, like we'll kind of evade no mm. in the same way that the British will apologize <laughs> for like <laughs> existing. <laughs> America doesn't apologize, but we like, we like a yes, you know? Um, and France, no is an invitation to like prove your ideas because they love a debate. <laughs> but like as an American, it hurts my feelings. <laughs> I think, I'm like, this is rejection. Are you abusing me? It's like, <laughs> like, do you hate me? I hate, this. please don't say no. And then like, but it's, yeah, it's an, it's kind of like a come back with evidence that you believe in it, you know? Mm. And that that took a while and it was gnarly. It was so painful. <laughs> <laughs> was it with there an initial period where you just, you didn't realize it was an invitation to to kind of expand on it that it was just a kind of a cut off oh yeah for sure it was it was gutting it was horrible because yeah. i would like submit you know music for release and they'd be like no <laughs> 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 and i'd be like okay <laughs> and they would just like be like come on They're like what why should we say yes is essentially the, yeah. the question that no is is posing and do you <laughs> feel like, like when oh, when you you know oh. when, you, when you're dealing with america as now um, american friends and american business is a little bit of frenchness kind of rubbed into how you deal with things are you a little bit no to people now? <laughs> <laughs> but now we're dealing with america it's really funny actually like i i was I've been like on, on a mission to find a new American uh, booking agent <laughs> and in so doing I've had to question, I've been like, are they licking my asshole so hard that it is touching my brain? Like what the fuck? Like it was, it's very disconcerting to have people be so like kind of effusive with praise and like kind of slick mm. where like France does a lot of like shrugging. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's not a lot of like oily quality mm. to the interaction and i feel like now that you know, my american i have to like watch out to kind of get like seduced into this like oh my god but they're being so nice to me i must i have to be nice to them back but i'm like actually is my what's my intuition actually telling me about this situation because if it feels too slick it's somehow disconcerting now which i think is probably healthy yeah that's that's awesome that is um yeah do you i mean you know do you trust your intuition uh well it's generally right mm. i don't know but if it's like whether the action i take you know mm. and i mean maybe it's i i'm i'm curious like do you feel like you're as you kind of come to know your britishness do you see it in a different way like when you interact with other people or like for me it's like I see my desperate need to be liked and I see how often it doesn't serve me. That's really interesting. You know? That's, uh, um, yeah, that's, that's, um, I mean, I think I have the same thing as well. I think I, I think it's loosened a lot, you know, um, but the kind of um, the need to feel liked and I feel definitely like, particularly when I was doing the kind of top shot style DJ gigs in the UK, it's all about kind of the need to be liked or, or like, you know, the need to kind of keep getting the gigs by playing stuff people likes. And that's sort of like 
feeding back so directly on, you know, have have you mixed Fleetwood Mac well into Jay Z that day? You know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and have you? You're like, well, I know I can. <laughs> yeah, totally none. Uh, and um, but yeah, it, it's I, th- I think it's it's, it's um, I, I'm loose. My grip is loose on that, but I think it's something you have to kind of keep tuning into, or I have to keep tuning into. You know, as soon as I feel, as soon as I feel like I I've got a more of a grip, or I'm doing better or less living in the ego I, that's almost like an invitation for me to slip into it a lot more you know I've, I, you know it's like you get used to sort of trying a little bit harder or a new level opens up and then you just like then then like the cats come in and just play around in that level for a while and then it before you know it it's it's you know there's cat shit filled with cats exactly exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck did all these cats come from? But yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally, totally. And I think that like uh I don't know, it's 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 healthy creatively, I think, to be out and, and obviously like a tremendous privilege. Let's let's remember to mention that also. Yeah. But to be existing outside of one's culture. And I mean, honestly, like I think a lot about the the kind of immigration process and and like how challenging it's been because I applied for a visa like four times before I got mm. it. You know, France has a lot of um culturally and in terms of kind of gov- legally it's very much about assimilation mm. which as we all know <laughs> is a pretty racist concept mm. um and so this idea of like observing my own privilege in this position of being you know an upper middle class white person who's like doing a creative job um how, and how much more difficult it could have been and how even given the privilege that I kind of arrived with like how challenging it was even in in those instances and start kind of trying to like uh really use that as an opportunity to like tune into compassion and empathy when it comes to trying to think about other people's experience like moving to a new place you know mm. that's that's a really lovely way of, of putting it like so you're saying you have like these uh there are certain things that you can kind of think of that kind of bring you into the sort of now, I guess, of, of, of like a sort of a check on yourself. Well, yeah, yeah. Then that, like, you know, it's, as as we were kind of <laughs> saying, it's it can be challenging to move to a new place and feel like a stranger in a strange land and just be like, have all these new, these novel experiences that I think are actually very good for the brain and for creativity and for like learning about oneself and one's native culture and being able to choose uh what one keeps and what one is like actually maybe I could be less of a people pleaser you know maybe like yes is not the most like effective way of handling all of my relationships all of the time um mm. and and then thinking like if that's the biggest if that's the biggest hurdle I've had to kind of cross when it comes to like experiencing this different country than like I've had it really good <laughs> yeah know? yeah I I can re- I can relate to that definitely definitely it's it's good and and I just wanted to ask you um about about where you're at now because you know you're sort of on one hand there's been like how many boiler rooms have you done is it Three. There have been three. three. Yeah. So <laughs> Hopefully I'm, I'm, four soon. <laughs> amazing. And uh, so that there's the DJing and there's the kind of the, the more rock and roll punk rock kind of thing. And do you feel, do you find yourself sort of swerving from time to time from one end to the other? Obviously there's a, there's a sweet spot in the middle, which I think your album does perfectly, but you know, is uh, they do, you know, do you feel sometimes, do you feel more like you're, you know, you're just rock and roll. And then other times it's like, you know, you're, you know, you're surrounded like in a, in a club atmosphere and it's more of a utopian connection with everyone kind of vibe 
Do they, does it swing around? Uh, I think, you know, post-COVID, it's been very, DJing has been challenging because I feel mm. like it's been a little bit like triage where no one's admitting they're injured. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it's so true, isn't it? Sometimes you, you mention something that happened to you during COVID or or the experience of COVID and I'll be met with like a kind of a stony silence where like, it's, I'm, I'm, I don't talk about it, you know, it's just... Yeah, it's and and like every culture, every like micro community, you know, even within cities, has experienced it differently, which is really yeah. interesting. So the kind of reintegration process of like people being in space together again has been very interesting, and also like what people respond to musically, and also even knowing my own musical library and being because like in doing COVID sets, I tried not to play the same track twice. Mm unless it was one of my own and did like 30 sets <laughs> and, <laughs> and can't remember any of those tracks, what they sound like or what their names are, you know, like, mm. so it was kind of disconcerting in terms of, you know, the things that we normally connect with what I consider like the, the craft of DJing um, of being able to like know what music works for which crowd, when, Mm. And being able to kind of psychically deliver that before they know they need it. They create like a feedback loop where we get to like have an, a shared journey. Like I haven't been able to re, I mean, it's, it's coming back a little bit now after like, a, I guess a year of off and on, but like, that's been very challenging to re find that space. Um, and there've been a couple instances, there've been a couple gigs back that I've felt it again, but it's felt much more laborious than it ever did. And in comparison to the live band, which is like the dream of my heart since I was like nine years old, Mm -hmm. (laughs) traveling with all my, traveling with my favorite people in the world and like feeling like I didn't anticipate it, but it has like, there's a kind of, um, like there's access to this part that is hyper present and doesn't give a fuck <laughs> that like, I wish I could be all the time, except maybe it's like too much, but <laughs> I think because in fact of COVID and because of so many gig cancellations and like false starts, like the album was done in 2018 and it didn't come out mm. until 2021. And then we didn't get to perform it really until 2022. Like, you know, that every show could be the last show. So there's nothing to do, but enjoy the moment, like ferociously, like just be as have the most fun, be as present as possible. Like there's nothing to do, but that. Um, And I think it's the most wonderful thing I've ever experienced. (laughs) And that's what I thought about DJing, but like, I'm like, this trumps that by like 5,000. So not to say that I don't love DJing, but like, (laughs) I mean, you know, for instance, we had, we built this cage made of light. It's programmed with the music. So it's, it's quite spectacular. I'm very proud of it. It fits in two Peli cases. <laughs> it's the triumph of our existence. Um, but for America, we couldn't bring the cage. So mm. basically every show <laughs> I could no longer be contained. It was like in the pit, every song. Mm. And, and like for somebody who's like kind of afraid of people, <laughs> and like socially anxious and uh you know a little like I like I started DJing so I didn't have to talk to people (laughs) Ah. (laughs) (laughs) like I'm like my taste in music is better than yours also don't talk to me I'm busy (laughs) um like to be given this kind of access to this like demonic force that wa- just wants to be like in the pit with the people screaming into their mouths like head banging with them touching their faces you know like 
very COVID friendly. But like it's it's I I've never had more fun in my entire life. <laughs> wow. And you sound like quite surprised yourself by by your your actions or how far you've allowed it to sort of go with it. Oh yeah. I mean it's insane. <laughs> It's like I, I, I when I, I like my have my like little stage outfit. Hey, and even it's made, it's like a full latex like blazer that weighs like ninety pounds, so it has to be like given baths like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like hanging in the shower, like, and I'm like, I told my partner, I'm like, I miss it, I miss wearing it, <laughs> and I do, I miss having access to this part that is like only presence and gives zero fucks. It's like, wow, what a superpower, like. What it, I mean, also, what an insane thing to be able to do this thing that you've dreamed of since childhood, like to actually do it. <laughs> like, what is what a ridiculous gift! <laughs> I can't believe it. Still, still shocked. <laughs> it's amazing that, like, the, the sort of do you, do you feel like there's something about the parameters of being on a stage, you know, sort of that that like sort of creates this sort of like. I don't know, this neutral zone. I don't know, like sort of like a different kind of unreal zone, you know, that that allows that. I mean, almost the opposite. Oh. <laughs> like we have like the intention because because it's a contained space and because we're a trio, um, that when we go into the cage, even if we, even if the cage is not present, it's still like the, <laughs> the thought <laughs> construct of the cage. It's a cage of love and healing. And the only the only rules are have fun and be yourself. Mm. <laughs> so like when kind of it's not even like a neutral space, it's like a hyperspace kind of that like it creates um, the parameters for the best, best parts of oneself, you know, and that like because the only goal is having fun and being yourself and like absolute presence that even if like the worst shit on earth happens, like it's kind of destiny and like we're here to deal with challenges like with joy and grit (laughs) (laughs) if only I could bring this attitude with me like you know when the internet's crashing or whatever like literally any other circumstance (laughs) the plane is late (laughs) (laughs) oh Louisa thank you so I think I think that feels like that was a nice way to uh yeah totally amazing thank you so 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 much i really love that chat thank you so much it was an absolute delight thank you for such like (laughs) thoughtful and curious and and lovely questions i really appreciate it well thank you for being just so like i got the impression yourself you know as well so uh you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) i have no options (laughs) that's good best way for it yeah That was Louisa chatting with me, Paul Hamford, for Lost and Sounds. We had that chat. I didn't write down the exact date, but it was about two weeks ago, I think, from when this podcast comes out. Thank you so, 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 so much, Louisa. Really, really loved that chat. It was such a nice, warm vibe to have that. Um, Practice of Freedom her album it's been out for a year um links to that links to her label are aar or raw uh, i'm not really sure if it's raw or rr or A-A-R. i'm getting all my r's and a's mixed up um resident advisor that's an r and an a isn't it um and i'm just talking shit now anyway yes 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 links to that in the podcast description 
Uh, thanks so much to Audio-Technica for sponsoring this podcast. It's their 60th anniversary. Go over to audiotechnica.com, check out their awesome range of headphones, of microphones, turntables. I use their stuff. You probably do as well because they're awesome. They're family run. They're brilliant. If you enjoy listening, head over to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Paul Hanford where you can get extra regular mini episodes, access to occasional videos, to my diaries, to the Discord channel. Head on over, support the show. Thanks so much to ESO for doing the music you hear at the beginning, at the end of every episode. And thanks so much, mostly, to you for listening, for being awesome. I hope whatever you do today, you just have a really, really, really fucking nice one. I'm off now. Take care. See you soon.